Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Today, we will attempt to cover Amos chapters 7, 8, and 9 and to finish the book of Amos. And we're going to group these chapters together because the flow of thought of God's judgment that is coming, and at the end of the book of Amos, a promise of a future redemption for Israel is so powerful. As you see, the judgment is coming. It is imminent. It will take place. God has spoken, yet there's a greater picture of God's redemption that will come in the future. So we're going to try to cover these three chapters to really hit the original intent of what the prophet Amos was saying to the people of Israel. And again, this is focusing on the northern kingdom of Israel that is still in existence at this time. But God is speaking through Hosea. He is speaking through Amos. He will speak through Isaiah. He is speaking through the prophets about a day that is coming that Israel, the northern kingdom, and also Micah is prophesying about a day that is coming that this kingdom will be destroyed and never rise again. And this is a sad event in the history of Israel, the northern kingdom. Yet at the end of this book, it is so precious about God's future plan of redemption for Israel. And God is a covenant-keeping God. And we will see this as we come to the end of Amos. So let's start in Amos chapter 7, verse 1. Laura, my wife, is with me today, and we're going to read every verse as we go through. May not emphasize as much every verse, but a lot of reading, but hitting the main essence of what is being said as we look at the flow of thought. Verse 1, thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, he was forming a Locust swarm when the spring crop began to sprout. And behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing, or his shearings. And it came about when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land that I said, Lord God, please pardon. How can Jacob stand for he is small? So what is happening to the land in the north as we look at it, that a army of locusts have come through. It's very similar to the prophet Yoel that prophesied earlier to this time frame. And a locust is coming, and it is destroying the crops. And it's even destroying the crops or the shearings or the mowing of the king's portion. And so the whole land is being devastated from the least to the greatest. And this causes Amos to cry out and to intercede for the people. And what is incredible, what we're going to see as we begin to read, continue to read, is God's going to honor that prayer. The first time, the second time, but the third time, God's judgment is going to be completed. And so God's going to answer Amos as he prays. Yet on the third time, he is saying, enough is enough, and the judgment of God is coming. So let's look at verse 3. Yahweh, the Lord, changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said Yahweh. 
So look at the power of prayer here. Now, I know some of you are coming from a systematic background that would try to explain this away, but this is consistent all the way through the Bible. So you're going to have to explain away a lot of the Bible. As people pray, it changes the mind of the Lord. That does not change his sovereignty at all. Remember, predestination is based upon the foreknowledge of God. That is consistent all the way through Scripture. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. It's not an arbitrary choosing, but God in his sovereignty has allowed for the free will of man. He has allowed for the petition of the saints. And here is a holy one, one that is in a covenant relationship with God, that is crying out and interceding and standing on the behalf of of Israel, the northern kingdom, and God changes his mind. We see that with Moses. We see this with other individuals, how God is responding to the prayer of an individual. And this is important. It is the word of God. It cannot be explained away through systematic theology. It is what God is saying through his word. Why do you think that God would change his mind? It's just a man asking, what's behind the motive here, do you think, of God changing his mind? Well, when you look at it, it, we must look at the character of God. Think about Mm -hmm. Jonah and Jonah not wanting to go to Nineveh. Why did he not want to go to Nineveh? The Word of God is clear, because he knew the character of God, that if the Ninevites did repent and did cry out to God, God would forgive them. And Jonah wanted the city of Nineveh to be destroyed. So this is about God's character, and it's also about relationship. That as Amos is interceding for the northern kingdom, there is a relationship between God and Amos that God listens, and he is responding to the prayer of Amos, the prophet. Now, he was not born a prophet. He had not been a prophet in the past. We're going to see in these chapters, his father wasn't a prophet. He was an agricultural person coming from a cattle background of watching over cattle and agriculture. This was not his background, but he had a relationship with God. And when he began to prophesy for the first time, God is using him. And when he begins to pray, God is responding to his prayer. It's a relationship between God and Amos. It is the character of God that God is always wanting redemption. That is the character of God. And so when we stand in the gap for an individual that has walked away from God, yes, it touches the heart of God. Yes, God has the ability, because he's a sovereign God, to respond to our prayers. And this is consistent all the way through Scripture. Some systematic theology would say, no, this is not really what is happening. And they began to explain away these dynamics, but this is what the Bible is teaching. It is what it is saying, and it's consistent all the way through. When you go to prayer, God hears, God responds, God listens, and God in his sovereignty has the ability, because he's a sovereign God, to respond to that prayer in the way that he wants to respond. And in the first time of this first prayer of Amos, he responds in a way where it says in verse 3, the Lord changed his mind about this. What? About his judgment. It shall not be, said the Lord. Now let's go to verse 4. 
Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, the Lord God was willing to contend with them by fire, and it consumed the great deep and began to consume the far land. We don't really know what is being referred to here as the great deep. Some say it's talking about the Mediterranean, but it doesn't really fit the context. Maybe the great deep of the forest and also, and it began to consume the farmland is more how I would see it. But from this devastation of the locusts that would come, a fire would come as well that would consume the forest, the great deep, and the farmland. Verse 5, then I said, Lord God, please stop. He sees what is taking place, and he cries out, and he intercedes. Please stop. How can Jacob stand, for he is small? Now, Jacob, Isaac, Israel are synonyms. And here, the context is about the northern kingdom. How can Jacob stand, for he is small? The Lord changed his mind about this. This is the second time he changes his mind. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. So twice he responds, in a way, to Amos' prayer that says, I will stop, the devastation will stop, the locusts will stop, the fire will stop. Verse 7, thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. So now here is a vision that God is showing to Amos. Yahweh said to me, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a plumb line, then the Lord said, Behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will spare them no longer. Now he is saying the time of judgment has come. He has responded twice to the prayer and the petition of Amos, but now he is showing him a vision, and he is putting a plumb line in in the midst of the people Israel to see if it is straight or not, or if if the wall is about to fall or is it going to stand. But here he's going to say to him, it's about to fall. The high places of Isaac will be desolated and the sanctuaries of Israel lay waste. And I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. And here Jeroboam, this is speaking about Jeroboam the second, not the first. The northern kingdom started with Jeroboam the first, which is not Davidic. This is Jeroboam the second, which is not Davidic as well. The northern kingdom was never in the line of David and the promises of God about a future restoration through the Messiah, a future salvation through the Messiah. But this Jeroboam, which is in a time of prosperity right now, There is peace and prosperity in the north. Everything looks like it's okay, but God is causing these natural calamities to come as a warning. The people are not turning back to God. Amos knows that God's judgment is coming. He's crying out for the people. And now on this third time, God is saying, the high places up in the north will be desolated. The sanctuaries of Israel will lay waste. And I will raise up against the house of Jeroboam, the monarchy in the north, Jeroboam II, with the sword. It will come down, and God is letting Amos know that God's judgment is now. Would you say that a plumb line has to be measured against something to show when the wall's not even? Would you say the plumb line is measuring against God's word, God's principles, that the people were not in keeping with this? 
That's one way to look at it, but it says, in the midst of my people Israel. So it could also be that you're putting it in the midst of Israel, and it's not standing strong, it's not straight, it is crooked, and it's going to fall. Yeah. And I would see it more within that context. Now, that you're seeing it the same thing, but in a different way. But look at verse 8 again. Behold, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. So, yes, you could look at that plumb line being the Word of God and that they are not measuring strong and straight and it doesn't have the right foundation. It will fall. That's the understanding that I'm getting. If you do not have a strong, straight, fortified wall, it will fall. And so it's in the midst of my people Israel. And so on this third time in which... God is speaking to Amos, he is saying to them, judgment is coming. Now, this is around 760 to 750 B.C., so in about 30 to 35 years, 30 to 40 years, the judgment of God is going to be fulfilled of what God is speaking to Amos against the northern kingdom. Now, let's go to verse 10. Amaziah is going to rebel against Amos. And he is a priest of Bethel. Bethel means the house of God, but it is a citadel, a religious center in the north. Let's read verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all his words." So when a man is prophesying and saying, thus saith the Lord, people are listening and they're weighing what he is saying. And what Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, is saying is the land cannot endure this. He's got to be stopped. He's got to be silenced for what he is saying. It will bring confusion. Maybe people would lose their allegiance to Jeroboam and maybe put their allegiance to Judah in the south. So he's worried about what is taking place. So he wants censorship. He wants to censor Amos here as he's prophesying. You mean there's been censorship since way back when? (laughs) Yes. This is, what, September 2021, and we have censorship beyond anything I could believe in this country like we never thought that we would see in the United States of America, censorship. So we know all about censorship today, but censorship has always been ongoing within human history. And so when you try to silence someone, then you're insecure You don't have the ability to stand on your own, and they want him to be quiet. So censorship, this is what Amaziah the priest of Bethel is saying. Verse 11, For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. He's speaking to the king. He's saying Jeroboam, the king, the monarchy, will die by the sword, and Israel will go into exile. It will take place. Amos knew the word of the Lord. He was prophesying, and he knew this within deep within inside of him. This was what God was speaking to his life. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer. Now, seer is what a prophet is. A prophet is one that God shows him something. He sees into the future 
by God showing him, and he speaks something that's going to take place in the future. A prophet prophesies about something that has not already taken place. That's what defines him as a prophet. That, that doesn't mean that everything that a prophet does is seeing into the future. But what defines an individual as a prophet is that he sees in the future by the power of God, the power of God's Spirit that is showing him these things. So Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah. Go back to the south. Go to the south, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. Stay away from us. We're a different kingdom. We have a different monarchy. We want you to go back to the south. Maybe they'll listen to you there, but stop it here in the north. But no longer prophesy at the house of God at Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. Whoa, (laughs) that's pretty scary because they're taking over the name of God, really. They're saying it's, it's about us. Not yes, Bethel had been turned into a pagan religious center going back to Jeroboam the first. Remember Jeroboam the first took Bethel and he put a golden calf there at Bethel. He put one up in Dan, up in the extreme north, and uh, he put a golden calf there. You can go to the very area where the altar was uh, that Jeroboam the first uh, placed there up in the extreme north of the northern kingdom. And this should have been a city honoring the one true God, but it became a pagan center. What is also unique is that Amos is not scared. He is not afraid to speak truth. He is speaking this in the city of Bethel. And the king is right there. And immediately the king could have him executed. And one thing I want to say, Laura, is this, is that we live in a day that there's paganism everywhere that we turn, everywhere, and it's within churches, is within our culture, and we need men and women. There are some prophetesses that spoke as well that will begin to speak what God is showing them and speak about the evil that the people are doing and that the judgment of God will come. God will not be silent. There is a time that God will bring his judgment. And so here, he's not afraid to speak, and he could lose his life. We are in a time of history in the Western culture that ministers are going to be put into jail for speaking truth, and ministers are going to lose their lives And believers in Yeshua, the Messiah, and Jesus, the Christ, are going to have to take a firm stand of their faith, and they're going to lose their jobs. Some of them are going to lose their lives. They're going to be alienated from their families. They're going to be isolated from their communities because of their faith in Christ. Understand, this is not anything new within history. And Amos was willing to lay down his life to bring the truth to the people of the northern kingdom. Verse 14, Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I a son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. He is saying, I'm coming from an agricultural background. I'm coming from a livestock background. This is not how I was raised. My father wasn't a prophet. I am not a prophet. That is not my background. But when you look in verse 15, But the Lord took me from following the flock 
And Yahweh said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Go, go to Israel, go to the northern kingdom and began to speak what I am saying to you and showing you. So his background was not prophecy. His background was not ministry. But now was a day that God was using him for this purpose to get his message to the northern kingdom. Just like Hosea and Isaiah and Micah is going to do as well to bring the truth and to speak the truth in love, they are prophesying what God is giving to them. God can use anybody at any time. Amos did not go to a Bible school. He was not trained in that capacity to be able to speak in that way. He is not a priest. He's not part of the royal family like Isaiah was. Here is a man that just has a relationship with God, and God begins to speak to his life. He has a powerful prayer life. Think about this. Twice he changed the mind of God here. Twice he prayed and interceded. We just get a small glimpse of that prayer, but God changed his mind. This is his relationship with the Lord that is really coming forth as we go through this prophecy. Yeah, and I would prefer that over having all the credentials because you'd have less of a tendency to take the glory for yourself. You realize this is a work of the Holy Spirit through me, like Jeremiah prophesying as a young man or Moses with a speech problem or, you know, Paul, not a great speaker. And so it really keeps you in that humble mindset. It's a blessing when the Lord gets all the glory. Yes, sometimes our weaknesses, he is so much stronger. The ministry is so much stronger. This is the problem as you take all these personality tests to try to find out your giftings and try to find out how God's going to use you. It's not based upon your natural ability. It's not based upon your educational background. It's based upon a sovereign God and a relationship with God that when God begins to speak, be faithful to God. And this is what the prophet Amos is doing. And he's one of my favorite people in all of the Bible. People like Amos, Nehemiah, others that are not coming from this background are willing to do something for God. And whatever it takes, I'm available to you and may not have the background to do this, but how powerful their ministry becomes. So verse 16, now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying, you shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. And he is saying to Amaziah, and he's saying to Israel, and he's saying to Jeroboam, God's judgment is coming. And you see the imagery of a harlot that Hosea is going to use this same imagery about Israel, the northern kingdom as well. But he is saying, your wife will become a harlot in the city, and your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. This is the future of the northern kingdom because of their sin. And remember the flow of context, the flow of thought, the context. God wanted to do this earlier, but because of the prayers of Amos, 
he relented from doing that. He had patience. In fact, when you look at the whole history of the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, 208 years, there's not one time frame in which they honored God. And after 208 years, finally, God will bring his judgment and they will go into exile. Now, let's look at chapter 8, and we're going to do a lot of reading here, not as much commentary, but we're going to read it as it reinforces what's taking place in chapter 7. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. He said, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The songs of the palace will turn to wailing in that day, declares the Lord God. Many will be the corpses in every place. They will cast them forth in a hush or in silence. There's not even going to be anybody mourning. This is how devastating and how complete the destruction that is coming. Hear this, you who trample the needy, to do away with the humble of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over? so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may open the wheat market to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger, and to cheat with dishonest scales. They're wanting the Sabbath to be over. They're wanting the new moon and the feast to be over so they can get back to their markets and cheat everybody and make more and more money. God is saying it's coming to an end. Verse 7. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, indeed, I will never forget any of their deeds. Because of this, will not the land quake and everyone who dwells in it mourn? Indeed, all of it will rise up like the Nile. When you see the Nile swell, it's an incredible thing to see how large it becomes. And it will be tossed about and subside like the Nile of the Egypt. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark and broad daylight. Then I will turn your festivals or your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation, and I will bring sackcloth on everyone's loins and baldness on every head, and I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son, and the end of it will be like a bitter day. The day is coming upon Israel. It's just going to be mourning. It's going to be like losing your only son. It's going to be like mourning over an only son, your inheritance. What is your only son? That is your future. That is your inheritance. That's everything about who you are being passed down to your son. It's gone. This is what Amos is saying. It's gone. Your inheritance is over. This is what people need to understand. The northern kingdom of Israel will never rise again. The name of Israel is not forgotten, but Jeroboam and this monarchy and the many monarchies throughout this 208-year history will never rise again. It is over with. There is no inheritance. There's not any inheritance for it in the future. I think it's also a great warning because... It says on more than one occasion, they're singing, they're having festivals. They're not even seeing it, even with the prophecies coming. And it's right on the horizon. And so it should always remind us that we need to check that plumb line against our life, our nation, and be praying and preparing for judgment if it's coming. And why don't they see it? Because you bring up a great point. 
They don't see it because they're living in a time of prosperity. It's very hard for people living in a time of prosperity to think about the judgment of God. They get consumed about today. Well, everything's fine and tomorrow will be fine. And we've heard about this in the future and we've had in the past and people have come and they prophesy, but everything stays the same. The stock market crashed, but it came back. We go up and down and they don't realize it's a false sense of security. What they need to be doing is looking at their own lives. They need to be listening to the word of the Lord. Verse 11, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. This is the most devastating thing that is coming. Not the bread that's going to be taken, not the famine physically, but God's going to stop speaking to the northern kingdom. That's what we should fear the most when God stops speaking to a people that have rejected him over and over, and the word of the Lord is not there. All you have is false prophecy and people by their own imaginations creating things, saying this is what God is saying. So he is saying, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord, there's going to be a famine. People will stagger from sea to sea, from the Mediterranean to the Dead Sea, And from the north, even to the east, they will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst. As for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, little g, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, which is actually down in Judah, but had pagan sites as well, They will fall and not rise again. These false gods will fall and they will not rise again. These gods will not help them. And for all those that are swearing by them and putting their confidence in these false citadels, religious centers in the north and even in the south, as far down as Beersheba, destruction is coming and they will not rise again. This is the word of the Lord. Now, let's continue to read into chapter 9. It's going to be a continuation of this prophecy of judgment all the way to verse 11. And then verse 11 is going to give a picture of a future restoration of Israel. Verse 1 of chapter 9. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Smite the capitals so that the thresholds will shake, and break them on the heads of them all. Then I will slay the rest of them with the sword. They will not have a fugitive who will flee or a refugee who will escape. He is saying, bring down the house upon them, just like Samson did with the Philistines. God is saying this. God is bringing it down. Though they dig into Sheol, the place of the grave, from there will my hand take them. And though they ascend to heaven, from there will I bring them down. Though they hide on the summit of Carmel, I will search them out and take them from there. And though they conceal themselves from my sight on the floor of the sea, from there I will command the serpent and it will bite them. Look what Amos is saying. You cannot hide from this judgment. It is coming. 
You cannot go into the desert. You cannot flee into the forest. You cannot get on into a ship and try to go away. God's judgment has come, and God will find you. You cannot hide from God. God sees all things, knows all things, understands all things. He is a sovereign God. He is God. Verse 4, And though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword that it slay them, and I will set my eyes against them for evil or for calamity and not for good. He's saying, even when the northern kingdom goes into exile, my sword is against them. There will be judgment for them in exile. And I want our listeners to remember the northern kingdom of Israel will never rise again. It is destroyed forever. It does not mean that Israel will not be restored. But the northern kingdom, the ten tribes that rebelled against God, that was not Davidic, that never served God, that created all the high places in the north, went from one king to another king, one monarchy to another, it will never come back. It has been destroyed forever. And as they go into exile, God's judgment is still against them. Verse 5. The Lord God of hosts, the one who touches the land so that it melts, and all those who dwell in it mourn, and all of it rises up like the Nile and subsides like the Nile of Egypt. The one who builds his upper stairs, or let me read it this way, the one who builds stair chambers in the heavens or upper chambers in the heavens and has founded his vaulted dome over the earth, He who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth, the Lord, Yahweh, yod heh vav heh the Lord is his name. The great I am is his name. He's the one that's going to perform all of this. You cannot hide from him. He is the creator of all things, and his judgment is coming. And his judgment, again, will be upon the Israelites even in exile. Then he says in verse 7, Are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me? The sons of Ethiopia are not in a covenant relationship with God. They are ones that are worshiping other gods. And so they are in the same category, the same understanding to God, the Israelites, as those in Ethiopia. Are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel, declares the great I am? Have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt? God brought Israel out of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor. Now, that's the origination, that's the place in where the Philistines came from, from an island called Crete. And so the enemies of Israel were brought into the land that were a thorn in the flesh of the Israelites, but he brought them into the land. He brought the Israelites from Egypt, and he brought the Arameans from Kir. That was where they originated from, east of the Tigris River. And so the places in which they originated from, they have come and they are part of the land today. So what he is saying, don't think just because I brought you here from Egypt and what I did in the past allows you to live any way that you want to. Now I brought your enemies from a distant place into this land. My judgment is upon them. My judgment will be upon you. Are you not like the sons of Ethiopia to me? 
This is what God is saying. Don't think that you're any more special than anybody else. When you're living in sin, God's judgment will be upon you as well. Yeah, we really cannot trust in our heritage, in our family. It's a heart relationship with God, and this is a great reminder of that. And it's a present relationship with God. Mm -hmm. We cannot rely upon the people that came before us. It's what God is doing in our lives and how we're living our lives. And are we honoring God? Are we rebelling against God? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Again, this northern kingdom will never rise again. Nevertheless, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. You say, well, it will be destroyed, but it won't be totally destroyed. Well, historically, the Israelites are going to flee down into Judah. Most of them are taken off into exile, and even God's judgment will be upon them into exile. But there will be a rising of Jacob again, but not the northern kingdom. That's what I want to emphasize Jeroboam's kingdom will not come back. All these other monarchies over these 208 years that started with Jeroboam I, they will not come back. But Jacob will be established again. Look at this. Nevertheless, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I am commanding, I will shake the house of Israel among all nations, And he says, as grain is shaken in a sieve, but not a kernel will fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword. Those who say the calamity will not overtake or confront us. Those that are living in sin and do not believe the judgment of God is coming. Judgment is coming against them. But a future restoration of Jacob not the northern kingdom, but Jacob, what God did in Jacob, and he changed his name to Israel. The promises that God made to Israel will have a future restoration, and there will be Israel that rises again. And this is what we're going to see starting in verse 11. In that day, I will raise up the fallen tabernacle or booth or shelter of David, and wall up its breaches. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. There's a day that Jacob's going to rise again, and this is all future tense. These are things that will happen in the future, that God's going to do a complete and total restoration of Israel. Verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. So there's a day in which Jacob will possess the remnant of Edom, and all the nations who are called by my name will be possessed by Jacob, declares the Lord who does this. This is going to be the Lord's doing. Behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh, when the plowman will overtake the weeper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. When the mountains will drip sweet wine, and all the hills will be dissolved, and I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. 
They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land. And listen to the rest of this because this is important. And they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. There is a day that is coming in the future, Amos is saying, that Israel will rise again, and God will give them the remnant of Edom. He will give them the nations that call upon his name as a possession. This earth will be under the authority of Israel, of Jacob, and the covenant that God made with Israel. God has not forgotten that covenant, and God is a covenant-keeping God. And God will restore those that have been into captivity back into the land, and the nation will be rebuilt. And the name of this nation will be Jacob. It will be Israel. And when they plant vineyards, they will have the fruit of the vine that will, they will be able to enjoy it. And the gardens in which they plant, they will eat their fruit. I will also plant them in the land, and in verse 15, they will not be rooted up again from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. What it is saying, a day is coming in the future that they're going to be put back together in the land, and Israel will rise again. Jacob will rise again, and it's a day in which they will never be driven from the land again. Now, think about this for a moment. This is not going to be any restoration back in the land that the northern kingdom came back in. In fact, the northern kingdom will never rise again. It is not later on when the southern kingdom is destroyed and Zerubbabel brings back a remnant. And later on, Ezra, and later on, Nehemiah, because here a remnant comes back into the land, but Israel never rises again. They're always under foreign, um, foreign rule except for the Hasmonean period, a short period of time. But even during the Hasmonean time, they are really under the rule of the Greeks, even though there is sovereignty that has been built to some degree. But it's not Israel. This is a prophecy that Amos is bringing forth, that a day will come in the future where Israel will rise again, and they will never be driven from the land again. It's going to be a permanent kingdom And the people will enjoy the land again, and they will enjoy the fruit of their labors. And this is coming back to Israel. This is the kingdom being restored back to Israel. Israel will rise again. Now, it's very significant that one of the questions before Yeshua, Jesus, ascends back into heaven, that's a very true question, very legitimate question, is this. They asked Jesus, is it now the time that the kingdom will be restored back to Israel? And he does not say that's a terrible question. Why are you focused upon something like that? He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that has been fixed by my father's authority. What I ascertain from that, there is a day that the kingdom's going to be restored back to Israel. And it's a day in which the people are coming back to the land. Israel is going to be reestablished, and they will never be driven from the land again. Now, later on, Ezekiel is going to prophesy about this. Isaiah is going to prophesy about it, and Jeremiah is going to talk about it as well, and other prophets about a day in which the land 
is going to be restored back to the people and Israel will rise and the kingdom will be restored back to Israel. We're seeing Amos talk about this. Now, Ezekiel talks about it, but he says this, I will bring you from the nations where I have scattered you. God is saying this through Ezekiel, where you have been blaspheming my name and I will bring you back to this land and I will redeem you from the inside out. He says, I will take the heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will be your God. You will be my people. Ezekiel is prophesying about a day that God's going to bring back a rebellious people in the land, restore them to the land, and redeem them from the inside out. And if you get to the end of Ezekiel 37, they will never be driven from the land again. And so any return from the past cannot be fulfilled through what Ezekiel was prophesying. Anything in the past from what Amos is prophesying has not been fulfilled. I believe it's being fulfilled right now before our eyes. People being restored back to the land that God promised to them, and now a day is coming of a redemption of their hearts, of their lives back to God. And we are seeing that today. I truly believe that today. What Amos is prophesying at the end of this prophecy, we are seeing Israel rise again, the nation established, being redeemed from the inside out. It's not there yet. If you want to look at Ezekiel 37, it's a valley of dry bones and a great army has been put back together, but it's dead. It's missing something. It doesn't truly come alive until God breathes his spirit within that army and it has a true heart for God. And so we're seeing, I believe today, the fulfillment at the end of this prophecy that Amos is bringing forth because it says they will never be driven from this land again. I just have one quick question before we finish. I know that in 1948, when Israel became a nation again, there was some debate about what they were going to name it. Do you think that it possibly could have been from this passage that the push to name it Israel and not Judah? Yes, because many looked back and looked and said, Israel is the name that this nation should be called. There were many among the religious that wanted to name it Judah. And remember, modern-day Israel was established by the secular. Many of them agnostic, atheistic, Marxist backgrounds coming from different parts of the world, many from Eastern Europe where Marxism had been established. And they're coming back into the land, not really thinking about anything about God, just wanting self-determination for the Jewish people back into the land and having a place where they could have determination for their own futures as a people. And so When you see the establishment of modern-day Israel, they debated what should the name be. The secular said Israel, the religious said Judah. And as they were looking back into the scriptures, you remember the Hebrew language was being reestablished. The first time a language had died out that's coming back to life, being reestablished. And when they looked back into the scriptures, even though they might not have believed in God or the Bible and thought the Bible was a myth, they said from the scriptures the nation should be called Israel. And that is a fulfillment of Scripture. Jacob will rise. Israel will rise. There will be a day, not that the northern kingdom will rise again, but Israel will be restored. 
and we're seeing it right before our eyes, not just in 1948, but in 1967 and 1973, the Lebanon wars, the first one, the second one, all the pressure of the world today against Israel. God's hand is upon this nation because his word is true. And God will establish this nation and they will not be driven from this land again. But the greatest part of this prophecy, if you put it all together with other prophets, God is going to bring redemption to Israel from the inside out through a new covenant that was promised to them. That's what Jeremiah is going to prophesy about. And Zechariah is going to say it in a way, they will look upon me to God, the one in whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. So a day of redemption spiritually is coming to the people. It's not just a physical redemption. It is a spiritual redemption that God has promised to the people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the prophet Amos. Thank you, Lord, that he was faithful to you, and he was willing to risk his life to speak truth in love. And thank you, God, that his prophecy stood, it was true, and it's still being fulfilled today in our lifetime. And Lord, we pray for Jacob. We pray for Israel. We pray that they will long for you and they will reach to you, not through the rabbis, but God, through their own Messiah, through your forgiveness, your salvation, your redemption. Thank you, O God, that you brought a lamb to Israel, and from, the, from Israel, salvation has come to the world. God, as you've put this nation back together, redeem it from the inside out. God, your word is true, and it doesn't return void, and we pray for that redemption to take place. Thank you, God, for ministering to their lives. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to Israel. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.